Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre, based in St Melitus College, which is a community of people studying and teaching Christian theology here in the UK and around the world. Graham Tomlin, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Jane Williams, in discussing God, life, theology, in fact, just about anything. Hello and welcome to another edition of God Pod. And uh, this time we have uh, myself, Graham Tomlin, we have uh, Jane Williams... And uh, this time, no, no Mike Lloyd. He's um, no, no idea where Mike Lloyd is today, but he's somewhere else. But we do have a Mark, not a Mike. We have a Mark. And uh, we are delighted to have as our guest today, Mark Knight, who is um, a uh, tutor here at uh, um, St. Melitus College. And uh, he's been on one Godpod before, if you listen to the one with Stanley Howard a little while ago. And if you didn't, now is the time to do so. <laughs> Absolutely right. We only have the best on the Godpod. Um, Mark was involved in that one, but uh, we have Mark as a special guest today. And um, right, big shoes to fill, Mike's shoes. <laughs> yeah, they are quite big, actually. Yeah, exactly. If you've never seen Mike, he has got rather large. Well, he's and everything's rather large with Mike. It's tall, tall, tall yeah. thin. Yeah. And um, yeah, I remember once, once someone came up to me saying, um, "Well, I've listened to you on Godpod for years. Ooh, I thought you'd be a lot older." <laughs> <laughs> so of course, what that meant. You know. it's, it's the wisdom. Well, maybe. <laughs> I think somebody once said they thought I would be taller. Yeah. And so there's something tall about my voice. Is that right? Okay, yeah. Well, anyway, for those who haven't seen it, Mike is tall, thin, um, eats very strange food and everything else. But anyway, we're not talking about Mike today. We are talking about other things. So, Mark, we're delighted to have you with us on GodPod. Mm. And um, so, Mark, you're um, you're uh, doing your research at the moment on uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And yeah. um, uh, and it's, he's a figure that a number of people have read a fair bit of recently. There have been a number of biographies that have come out on Bonhoeffer. And so I thought we'd, today we'd um, uh, talk about some of the, the themes that uh, Bonhoeffer as a theologian uh, raises for us. I mean, for those people listening who don't know much about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's a German theologian uh, around the time of the Second World War, was involved in the, uh, the, the movement of opposition towards the Nazis during the Second World War um, That's right. yeah. and uh, was eventually martyred uh, for his part in uh, a plot against Hitler. Um, anything else we ought to know about Bonhoeffer? Biographically, is it? Goodness, as far as I'm concerned, there are an awful lot of things you want to know. I'm sure there are. It was the whole time, and there's the biography of Bonhoeffer. um, Yeah, well, um, you know, but he he was he was born in in 1906 um, in Germany, um, and you know that means he sort of comes of age round about the time of the end of the of the First World War. Yeah, and I think that's significant because he's part of that that generation in Germany that has to reckon with the Mm. the loss of the war. And then look towards what Germany's going to be like in the future. What the what the what what the coming generation? And many of his contemporaries like. were kind of caught up with the excitement of the new Nazi movement yeah. and this dynamic, charismatic leader and renewing Germany and giving it a new future and that's so on. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so you know, I think that he, as somebody who becomes increasingly involved in the life of the church in Germany at that time, I mean, it, you know, it was a. It was a period in which people were willing to be creative and experimental and to risk things. And, um, you know, you see that in a very sort of dark, um, perverse way with the Nazi regime. But Bonhoeffer was part of, you know, a church that was willing to reimagine what it looked like to be the church and what it looked like to be 
Christian. Yep. So what was it about Bonhoeffer that originally attracted you to, to spend years and years researching him? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it was actually, um, I became, I became uh, quite interested to see how um, doctrine and the Christian life went together, mm. and particularly how doctrine and practices of prayer went together. And um, um, being a good Protestant, I'm not sure I am such a good Protestant, but um, <laughs> I was looking around, you know, who are the, the theologians, the contemporary theologians who have really put those two things mm -hmm. together, prayer and theology, um, from, uh, from within the Protestant stable? Um, and actually, you know, Bonhoeffer was top of that list mm -hmm. um, because he was very much a theologian. He wrote um, some books that are rewarding but difficult to read. Um, but his theological life and his life in the church was, um, uh, you know, it was all embedded in a, mm. a, um, a life of prayer, um, quite a disciplined life of prayer, uh, a life of prayer that, you know, had a sort of um, borrowed something from sort of monastic rules of life, things like that, mm. um, in a way that made him quite um, suspicious in the eyes of some of his fellow yeah pastors and Christians. In, he created a new kind of seminary, didn't he? A, a sort of training ground for pastors, which was embedded in a life of prayer, a kind of communal, sort of semi-monastic. These are the Finkenwalder That's uh, experiment. Right. And, and That's right. I mean, tell us a bit more about that and what, what lay behind that. Sure. So, um, uh, I mean, what you have is with the, with, the, um, with the rise of Nazism, particularly after 1933, um, there is uh, a conflict in Germany, a, com a difference of opinion, a huge debate going on. And um, it's not as though the church is, is left out of that debate. The church is divided, mm. just as Germany is divided. And um, so you have one wing of the German church, and they were known as the, the German Christians, uh, mm. a sort of um, faction of that church, who very much want the church to get behind uh, Hitler and Nazi values and the sort of direction in which Nazism wanted to move Germany. Um, you have another group which eventually comes to be known as the Confessing Church, um, which um, is sort of on the other side of that fence, is very reserved about the church um, getting behind that agenda. Um, and Bonhoeffer's on that side. He's on sort of on the side of the Confessing Church. And eventually what happens in the mid-30s from um, about 35 onwards is that church comes to the point where they realise they need to train and prepare their own um, ministers, pastors, for service in that church um, because the division has become so deep um, that they, they need to sort of, um, you know, get these people um, by themselves, get some time with them to prepare them for life in that church, mm. such as it was at that time. And that's how Bonhoeffer got invited to um, plant a seminary, to plant a theological college, essentially, um, because of that need. Um, but what Bonhoeffer then did um, was not really what anybody was expecting. I mean, I think, you know, Bonhoeffer, he was known as a churchman. He was known as a sort of strident member of that confessing church. He was known um, as a theologian. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as an, as an academic. Um, I don't think anybody was expecting him to insist on um, things like um, a sort of rigorous pattern of morning and evening prayer. Now, that might sound quite normal to some Christians, particularly in seminary contexts. It wasn't particularly normal in Lutheran um, church, um, the Lutheran church at that time. 
he uh, people weren't expecting him to establish a pattern of of confession. So the the um, the members of the seminary would confess their sins one to another and. Um, so that was you know, to each other rather than to a designated priest or, or yeah yeah that's right yeah figure. okay yeah, that's interesting. yeah. yeah. so it was to, it yeah. was to, it was to one another um, um, and um, you know they weren't expecting him to set aside yeah. um, you know time each day for the silent meditative reading of scripture which was you another can imagine because many of those practices are quite monastic in many ways and and the Lutheran tradition hasn't always sat very easily with with sort of monastic discipline yeah um, yeah. Because yeah. of the fear that those they might kind of generate a kind of works righteousness and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, and um, you know, so our, our old friend Karl Barth writes to to Bonhoeffer, um, saying that he's you know he's worried about the monastic eros and pathos emerging from his seminary. Okay. Yep. Um, yep. And um, but but you know, Bonhoeffer was very resolute that this is this is how it would be. And was um, it? Sorry, go on, Jane. Why why did he think that was a necessary part of training to be a confessing church under? Um, a I think that Bonhoeffer came to the conviction that, um, and 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 it's a sort of, I guess it's a bit of a paradox as as convictions go that um, that that sort of discipline was actually the the source of the kind of freedom that um, Christians needed to sustain their perspective and resistance in the Nazi regime you know we, we, we because of course the you know the Luth- the Lutheran worry about all of that is exactly as as you said Graham this sort of um, legalism and works righteousness and um, I think Bonhoeffer came to see it exactly the in the reverse that this kind of discipline was the only way to break out of um, sort of um, you know, just 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 go just going along with the flow um, was the only way to break out of a perspective in which you feel as though it's your job to save the church, which uh, many. Or even that if you don't have that form of alternative discipline, there are other regimes of discipline within the culture that will make you flow along with yeah. what's going on outside the church. I imagine. Yeah. So the idea is, if you don't have that sort of structured life, you will inevitably just go with the flow of everything that's happening in culture, and you'll get swept along with it. Yeah. Um, therefore, as a kind of countercultural movement, wanting mm. to do something, uh, be something radically different from what was happening in the culture, that discipline was necessary. Is yeah. that the kind of way yeah. of thinking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's yeah. the gist of it. And so, you know, it's it's a it's a very common criticism of um, um, Christian communities, monastic communities of all mm. kinds, is that they are, you know, they're cloistered, they withdraw, they mm. have no impact upon the world. Mm. Um, Bonhoeffer described the life of that seminary as being a sort of an intense, um, um, in, an intense concentration for the sake of the mm. life of the church mm. in the mm. world. Mm. Um, That's interesting. So does that tie in with his Christology? Because one of the things that Bonhoeffer powerfully says is, is the, the Christ who, who actually allows himself to be pushed out of the world. Mm. Um, and so that sense that you can only be something for the world if you're willing not to be shaped by it. Mm. Is, is that does, do those two tie together, or am I? I, I think, I think they must do. I think they must do. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's one of the things that um, is often said about Bonhoeffer's whole way of thinking is it's it's completely shot through with Christology. That yeah. mm. um, you know, Jesus Christ is the starting place for thinking well about about any of these things. Um, where had Bonhoeffer encountered these kind of monastic practices? How had they come to be so formative for him? 
Yeah, that, that's also an, an interesting question because to a certain extent, I think it's, it's lost to the mists of time, um, to a certain extent. But um, interestingly enough, Bonhoeffer had, um, well, one thing you, 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 may, um, you may need to know about Bonhoeffer is that um, he was pretty well healed. He was, you know, of the, of the aristocratic set of, of Germans. So even at a time where lots of Germans were really quite poor, hyperinflation in the 30s and all of that, he had some money to throw around. And after doing a term of theological study in um, a place called Tübingen, he persuaded his parents to send him to Rome for a semester, about three or four months. Mm. And um, the, um, I think that the, the Catholic church that he encountered there had a very deep impact mm. upon him. Mm. Um, he writes in a diary... That, that we that we now have. I'm sure he never intended for us to read it, so it feels a little bit shameful um, peeking into his <laughs> private um, private thoughts. But um, you know, he he writes of attending um, vespers, I think it was, at a, as a, so a service of prayer, and and just being deeply impressed by the lack of um, uh, well, he he calls it guile, the lack of sort of posturing or putting it on. That he just encountered a simple service of devotion. And he writes at the end of that diary entry, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not about to become a Catholic, but I think I am beginning to understand the meaning of the word church. Mm. Yeah. And I, I suppose the, one of the other sort of books he's famous for, of course, is his, his great book, Discipleship. Mm. And um, I guess in that, uh, again, one of the ideas he's well known for is this, this definition of cheap, cheap grace, uh, the idea that it's possible to have a, you know, to kind of take grace cheaply and actually the path of discipleship is a very different one from that and I suppose it's just broadening the discussion out from a seminary for those who are training for ministry within the church into what discipleship looks like for if you like any Christian for the ordinary Christian what 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 distinctive things are there you think he, he says about discipleship in the context of that sensing of a need for a more disciplined life in order to stop you being swept away with the tide of culture yeah yeah that's a, that's a very good question and and i think it's worth noting you know we we talk an awful lot in various bits of the church today about discipleship it's become a bit of a buzzword hasn't it and yeah. um i i don't think i don't think we would be talking about it in quite the same way had bonhoeffer not written this little book mm. um discipleship he wrote it in 1937 um, which means that he wrote it, you know, right. It came right out of the context of that communal life in mm -hmm. Finkenwalder that he was mm -hmm. living, and um, at its heart, I, th I think what what discipleship is for Bonhoeffer is that you know, he he wants you to know that um, that salvation is um, bigger and grander than you may think. Mm. He writes to a church that is tempted to see salvation as um, you know, just God's um, verdict of grace and mercy upon mm. imperfect, um, hopelessly compromised human lives. Which is a kind um, of sort of Lutheran perspective, yeah. or at least sort of post-Luther. I mean, you, not yeah. necessarily Luther's own view on it, but sort of later Lutheranism. That's right. You know, came to that kind of rather forensic sort of judicial yep. understanding of justification and, and salvation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, he starts with that idea, well, and he, he wants to sort of ask you, you know, what, um, where, where that leads, and where that leads practically, what's the, what's the practical consequence of that sort of idea of salvation? 
And in particular, he wants to say, well, it, it makes a huge difference that you reach that um, confidence that God forgives, that God um, justifies you mm. by grace um, when you come to the end of your tether, when you've done all of you, all that mm. you can, when you have you know tried and failed, in, um, over against just sort of starting from that place, um, that sort of you know, well, God loves me, that's His job, sort of um, yeah. theology. Don't need to do anything like yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's like. Um, Mr. Muscle loves the jobs you hate. You know, Jesus does, Jesus does it all, so we don't have to do anything. Yeah, yeah. And um, essentially, I, I think what he's trying to say is, well, you know, what, what Jesus came to do is not just to forgive and justify, but to uh, transform and sanctify, mm. and that, that we can hope for that to happen. Mm. In, you know, um, it, it will be imperfect. It'll be fitful. Mm. It'll be snakes and ladders will go up mm. as well as down. Um, but that that is part of God's saving work in the world. Because there is that text, isn't there? Again, because we often talk about you know Jesus died that we might live. But actually, there's that text in I think it's one Peter, isn't it, where it talks about you know He died that we might die to sin. So yeah. he, he died that we might die, not actually not not that He died that we might live. Now there is a sense in which, of course, He dies that we might might live. Mm. But actually, when you get out of the text, it says He died mm. that we might mm. die to sin, mm. Mm. Um, which I guess is in line with what He's. What Bonhoeffer is saying here, yeah. but you can see how that could easily tip over into works righteousness, then, can't you? That yeah. um, if there is still something we have to do mm. in order to earn our mm. salvation, mm. that's that's quite a dangerous thing to say. So, how does he get the balance, or does, do you think he does get the balance? Yeah. Does he escape yeah. from works righteousness? Was Bart right to be nervous <laughs> of his monastic tendencies? Of course, Bonhoeffer was right. I'm, I'm fairly sure. About that. <laughs> You're on his side. Um, I think um, I think he's well aware that he's he's standing on the knife edge, mm. and um, I and also that he's not too bothered to be to be delicate in the balance because he feels the church is leaning so far to one yeah. to one side that you know he's here to re, to redress um, to redress the balance. But I, I, you know I I think what Bonhoeffer really um, really wants you to really wants you to see is that you know if you if you understand um, prayer or um, an attempt to shape your life in like of the Beat in light of the Beatitudes and there's a lot about the Sermon on the Mount in in mm. discipleship um, if you think about those things as something that you do in response to what God has done mm. it, the game's up you've you've misunderstood it mm. um, you know it, this is not about you know returning the favor to God mm. um, all of this stuff you understand it as this is part of what God does in the world um, because as Christians we believe um, the church is not um, the creation of humanity it's the creation of the spirit at Pentecost and um, it is part of God's ongoing work in the world so you know you, you, you have to understand these things as what God is doing in you yeah. not what you're doing mm. for God mm. now of course, you're absolutely right. It's open to that misunderstanding at every step, isn't it? Um, and, and do you think, um, and you can clearly see why, it, um, in a in a culture what, um, as the, the, a sort of 30s Germany was, which where Christians seem to have become and the church seemed to have become really complacent, mm. so that it, it, it was possible to think, um, I'm I'm doing everything that is required of me by going to church and being. A reasonably decent human being, mm. so you can see why he, in in that kind of context, mm. you might want to say that this is not just about 
and being a faintly decent human being is about yes. transformation. Yeah. Would he, do you think, I know you can't really answer this, do you think he would have, the answers would have been the same for us now, where very few people go to church mm. just because everybody goes to church? Mm. Um, or do you think the emphasis would have been different for us? It's, it's interesting because, um, you know, although Bonhoeffer dies very young, he does live long enough to, um, you know, review his own life's yeah. work. Yeah. Um, he's, he spends the last couple of years in prison after, um, after he's arrested by, by the Nazis and before he, he's executed. And, you know, he does have a chance to say, he says in one of, a, one of the letters he writes from prison that, you know, I, I, I stand by what I wrote in discipleship, but I can now see the, um, the potential dangers of that book, um, that it can, um, this way of thinking can leave you striving to become a saint mm -hmm. and that that um, is um, somewhat out of kilter with, um, you know, confessing the, the reality that God has saved, redeemed the world in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons why from prison he starts to see that the, 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 that kind of thinking could tip over um, is because precisely because he's spending so much time with other political prisoners who, well, um, you know, um, very they've taken real risks and they're paying the price for what they've done, but they haven't done it from the perspective of faith. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they are, um, you know, vaguely Christian perhaps given the time, but then but they're not they're not sort of church going folk that he mm -hmm. they are um, soldiers and and lawyers who pretty agnostic and and those are the people that he's mixing with for a couple of years in prison other political prisoners like like that and what what, what role does prayer play in all of this because he wrote a fair bit about prayer and as you were saying that becomes a really important part of his pattern of discipleship and i guess mm. it, it may be that that has something to do with this sense of it not being a, a kind of you know very energetic strenuous you know I, i'm generating all this holiness within myself as it were what, mm. what role does prayer mm. have within the Christian life for Bonhoeffer. Mm. Mm. Well, I think I think in in discipleship, what Bonhoeffer is, you know, it's a it's a bit like what you said a little earlier on. You know, that there is you're you're going to have sort of a certain you're going to be following a certain drift. You're going to be mm -hmm. being pulled along by a certain current whatever you do yep. so if you you know you you can say that that a sort of disciplined life of prayer is you know a, a kind of can, can feel sometimes quite um, um, you know like a bit of a cage because mm. you know and, and can feel quite legalistic I think Bonhoeffer would want to say that you know life is is it's quite like that whatever you do mm. and that um, for quite a few Christians in Germany at that time, you know, it was it was really clear um, what you were signing up for by being a Christian, and it, and and the the bar was not so high, you know, going going to church, being nice to your kids and to your employees and all the rest of it. Um, that that was about the sum of it. And I I think what Bonhoeffer what Bonhoeffer says is that actually um, discipleship is is to say um, what's core to the Christian faith is is being in a relationship to Jesus Christ where he leads and you follow. Mm -hmm. And you might, um, you know, he, and he may ask you to do things 
that aren't in the contract mm. and um, mm. he may call you to places that you never thought you might have to go there's sort of um, there's you know anything can happen and I think for Bonhoeffer prayer um, and that sort of diet of being prayerfully in scripture is part of you know hearing the call mm. of Jesus mm. um, and the specific call of Jesus to particular places and that courses of actions yeah. and so on. Yeah, yeah. And so do you get because obviously famously he, um, I guess what led to his execution was his part in a in this plot to assassinate Hitler supposedly. And, and was that something born out of prayer for him? A sense of you know a calling to this because there was a great deal of struggle, I guess, you know, theologically and ethically about was this the right thing to do for a Christian. You know, to be involved in the killing of another human being, mm. and mm. and that was a you know obviously a real ethical dilemma. Yeah, you know, should you kill Hitler or not, given the, the biblical command not to, not to not to kill another human being. Um, but was that something born out of prayer for him? That decision? Yeah, I think very much so. And um, you know, if if not born out of prayer, then certainly he wrestled with it in prayer, yeah. and yeah. he writes of wrestling with it in prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, his involvement in that attempt to assassinate Hitler, um, whatever it was. And there's a huge debate about how involved Bonhoeffer was. And, you know, you'll find people saying, well, we actually don't think he was necessarily involved at Mm. all. Mm. Um, But, 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 um, but, but there are, I think, good indications that, that, that he was aware and involved and that he wrestled with that in prayer. And in particular, he writes about doing something that he knows you know can't be morally condoned Mm. Um, so participating in an act which he believes in some sense even to be sinful Mm. but throwing himself into the into the uh, into the arms Mm. of God and his mercy as he does so Mm. Um, so he sees it as a as a tragic act rather than a heroic act and I think you know that's all tied up with the fact that he's he's wrestling with that in prayer. This yeah. is not just something that's it's very clear. This is what I should do, and I'm going to do it. Mm. Actually, this is him. He's trying to discern mm. where he's being called, mm. and that, of course, is, is it's a very delicate and difficult yeah. matter. I mean, yeah. And what one of his other uh, the most um, famous books is is Life Together, mm. uh, which is really about the Christian community and how we need each other within the Christian community, and it's a uh, been a very sort of influential book over the years and I suppose that that speaks into the communal nature of discipleship and because I, I guess we often think of discipleship as a very solitary activity you know it's me and Jesus me and the Lord mm. you know and I guess even the way we've talked about it so far might imply that it's just you know me praying and seeing yeah. Jesus speaking to me telling me what to do as an individual thing but you know he does talk about you know I suppose the fact that he created a seminary a community of people mm. coming together you know, but life together as a, as a book um, it's been probably one of the most influential books on the thought of Christian community over yep. the years. So, so how does that play into his vision of discipleship um, that, that might take us away from that in very individualistic view of a discipleship that we sometimes have? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think even in the book Discipleship, you um, you know, if you read it, don't just read part one, read part two, because part two is about the church. Mm. And there, there's sort of all of the sort of meditations on Jesus and the, and the disciple and the call in part one gets sort of embedded in the life of the church. Mm. But I, I, I think that's right. I think in, in, in um, Life Together, which he wrote a couple of years later, 1939, and which also flows right out of that seminary experience. Um, I mean, at, at the heart of that book, he says, um, um, and this is very tweetable, 
um, that the one who is afraid of um, of being alone should um, beware community, and the one who is you know afraid of being in community should beware solitude. Mm. Um, so you're going to need both of those things. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I guess is the classic monastic pattern again, isn't it? You know, life in the mm. cell, life in the community, and different types of monasticism and stress one or the other of those things. But he's saying that you need. You need to be able to do both. You need to be able to be on your own with God. Yeah. But you actually also need to be with others yeah. with God. Yeah. And yeah. it's not an either-or thing within the Christian life. No, that's right. And I, and I think that, that shapes his understanding of, um, of confession as well. So I think the reason why he thought it was so important that we um, confess our sins to one another and, and receive from another person the assurance of God's mercy mm. is... Um, is, is precisely because we need, you know, in hearing that declaration from another person, we, we, we're receiving it from a source outside of ourselves, almost mm-hmm. as though that, that person can speak God's word to us mm-hmm. in a way that we struggle actually to speak it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. What you're describing still sounds um, uh, like a home group or something. Yeah. In a way. <laughs> yeah. But Bonhoeffer did have a, a much bigger vision of church. He was quite um, involved in ecumenism in, the, in that early um, pre-war stage, mm-hmm. which was one of the, the real growing points of, of ecumenism. And he was also involved in a, um, what has again been a hugely influential decision, the confessing church, a decision to break away from um, uh, the, the, the church um, as it was generally regarded in, in his country. Can you talk us through some of his understanding of bigger church than just, you know, the people around you um, with mm. whom you pray mm. day by day, to whom you confess day by day? Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, um, he was um, he was not one for compromises yeah. on that front. You know, he was so, um, I mean, he, um, we often think about the, the battle for the German church with the German Christians on the one side, and they're the bad guys, of course, and the um, confessing church on the other, as being quite a, a dramatic conflict with these big personalities battling it out. Um, in fact, it was it was a fairly um, bureaucratic affair. You know, lots of synods, lots of big church meetings and pamphlets, lots of legal debates about. Um, you know what property belongs to which part of the church and what the legal jurisdictions are i mean that sounds familiar doesn't it we have the <laughs> we have the so um but but um but obviously one of the things that those synods those meetings did was you know debate and attempt to be, to come to a unified position to issue a statement on certain issues like like political questions like the relationship between church and state or what the place of the jewish people should be um as you you probably know that there came a time in the German church in the 1930s where um, Jewish Christians who were serving as pastors were no longer able to hold that office because of the new race laws that were coming into being. Bonhoeffer really wanted a, he really believed that synods, um, get this, could, you know, could could hear the voice of the spirit and, and issue a definite statement about that the, the church could then fall in behind. And despite being disappointed at almost every step by the fruit of those groups, that, that is really what he was looking for. And that's why he stuck with the church as an institution. I think he really believed in being patient with the church as an institution. 
So that's maybe something about yeah. the, the national church. But and that's not what you'd expect, is it? No, no. The myth of the heroic Bonhoeffer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that, that's exactly right. And I think you'd, yeah, you, could, you could be forgiven for reading discipleship and, and sort of thinking, you know, I'm off, you know, I'm yeah. going to start my own yeah. thing mm. out in the, in the, in the woods. Mm. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's not how he was. And if, uh, I mean, if I guess a lot of people listening to this Godpod who are, you know, would class themselves not as sort of professional theologians mm. or church officials, but if you like, as ordinary Christians trying to live the Christian life where they are. I mean, what is there, you know, is there one thing that you'd, you think that Bonhoeffer would say to them about what discipleship actually looks like, how you take discipleship seriously, what it, what it means? What is the sort of heart, you think, of mm. Bonhoeffer's message to be like the ordinary Christian, not the person, not the pastor in training, not mm. the, not the clergy, mm. but ordinary Christians mm. like that. Mm. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I think he, he would say that, you know, there, there are only ordinary Christians that, that and mm. that, that, um, that there is an extraordinary uh, Christ who, who calls them into, into fellowship. So I, I think he, he wants, again, he wants every Christian to expand their um, sense of the scope of salvation that um, you know what you see in Jesus is a renewed humanity uh, a true humanity that Jesus is in some sense the most human human there is and that that's our trajectory as human beings is to um, come to share in the humanity of Jesus the true humanity of Jesus to to look more like Jesus um, and that that transformation takes place in in very very ordinary ways um, so um, and and the daily life of, of prayer and obedience is is one of those ways. Um, it's it's not heroic. Uh, in fact, sometimes, most of the time, perhaps, you won't necessarily feel like you're becoming a better person. Um, but by faith, we believe that Christ is, you know, changing us gently. In a way, discipleship in happens in the ordinary rather than the extraordinary things of yeah. life. Is that right? Yeah, I think that I think that is right. Yeah, I think that is right. But presumably, also bringing back in that community dimension, and mm. um, the, the, the transformation is not enough if I'm just getting better and better. If your people get better and better, impact on others, and um, is that? Yeah, yes, I think yeah, that that's right. That's right. And I mean, when um, I mean, so Bonhoeffer's very first book, which he um, published in 1930, is called. Sanctorum Communio, which is um, Latin for Holy Community, um, or Holy, you know, Holy Communion, and that's 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 right at the heart of his thinking. Is that actually the image? Um, it's it's the church, it's the community, not just the individual that's remade in the image of Christ. Um, and so, and to be changed in the image of Christ is to be, you know, not just to relate to God in a different way, but to relate to one another in a in a different way. Um, so. In discipleship, it, it's very, very difficult to separate the love of God from the love of neighbour, mm. um, which, of course, it, it should be. Mm. I think. Yeah. And that's presumably because within the Christian church, our communion, our fellowship with one another is not just our fellowship with one another. Mm. It's actually our fellowship with one another in, in Christ, in our relationship with mm. with God. There's always this third dimension to our mm. relationships. It's not just a two-way thing. It's mm. always involved and bound up in our relationship with with God. Yeah. 
And one last question, Mark. I mean, if, if someone's listening to this and thinking, oh, Bonhoeffer sounds quite interesting, maybe I might want to read some. Where would you start? What book would you start with if you're reading Bonhoeffer? We've talked about life together, and I think that is where I would start. Okay. Um, um, with that sort of, you know, that's that's where he unpacks his vision of Christian community, prayer, confession, yeah. and so much of what's what's there at the heart of his thought. Um, yeah. Great. Fascinating. Well, it's been really interesting to... Um, a little different over God pub where we just focus on one topic and one person rather than mm. dot around two or three questions. But um, we Mark, could do another one on Bonhoeffer if you. <laughs> so we can, there's plenty. There's <laughs> plenty. More. I can keep going. Really good. Exactly. But anyway, we've uh, we've probably reached the end of this one. So um, uh, Mark, we're really grateful to you for coming along and sharing some of your wisdom on Bonhoeffer. Mm. So um, that's the end of this God pod, and uh, I'm sure another one will be, will be along very soon. So um, it's goodbye from Jane, and from Mark, bye, and also from me. Goodbye. Godpod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.